you're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Good morning. We're glad that you're here today. Let me begin by insulting you. You either have the DNA of the devil inside of you or you have the DNA of Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that you either have the divine nature in you or you have dishonesty, pride, and resentment. The Bible calls the devil the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, or a roaring lion. All those are intended to show us his strength. In the moments to come, I want to talk to you about developing better character. But to do that as a believer, you need to be aware that there's a supernatural opponent that you cannot see that is opposing you. Also, you have a supernatural presence, many of you who are in Christ, who will fight for you. And the battle that we're in to develop strong character has these real obstacles. Again, a supernatural opponent who will oppose you as well as supernatural proponent who will empower you. And the Bible teaches us that we are to be changed people. Look with me, beginning in verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 5, if you will, where the Bible speaks of this contrasting, in fact, verse 27, where the Bible says this, give no opportunity to the devil, no foothold allowed. It gives us a beautiful picture here, a picture to remember. We're to give no, look at this, no place for Satan to work in our lives. In a moment, Paul will put the focus on lying, deceit, and even stinginess and falsehood. But it's important for us to understand the Bible. It doesn't just call upon us simply to tell the truth. Instead, it tells us that the obstacle to tell the truth is there is a supernatural opponent who's working in you and in this world to prevent the truth, to stir up deceit, to stir up falsehood, to stir up lying in every direction. And for you to understand that you're gonna be a truthful person or attempt to be a truthful person, then you have to be aware that this supernatural opponent is at work in and around you. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know how many people really believe in the Bible in this room. I mean, to get away from the church, get away from Christians, do you believe all the parts in the Bible? Do you believe that there is a supernatural being called Satan? Now, I believe in Satan because Jesus believed in Satan. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Pause and think about that for just a second. It's an outstanding supernatural statement. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. The reason I believe in a being called Satan is that I believe in Jesus. And Jesus said, I saw Satan. Jesus would tell Satan to get out, and he would tell us, if we're going to be successfully morally and spiritually, that we need to also believe in Satan. And the Bible says for you and I to give no foothold to the devil. Now, what's a foothold? There's probably not many rock climbers in the room presently. You're too smart. You're too smart for that, right? And yet, a rock climber will know that when facing a vertical challenge, vertical elevation, 
that they're looking for a crevice. They're looking for a place that can hold all the weight of the rock climber. To put all your weight, a large enough place to put your foot in there for leverage. And the Bible says this quite simply, Satan is looking for a point of leverage in your life. Now pause and think about that for just a moment. Think about that seriously and what's happening in your life. The leisure of your retirement, the busyness of school, the anxiousness of the financial pressures upon you. Satan is actively looking and searching to put a foothold, to put a place in which he can get a place to work. The Bible says give no opportunity for the devil. If you were to switch sides for just a moment and work on behalf of evil in your life, where would he strategically go to work? Where is his opening? Where is his opening in your life? And the Bible says we're to give no opportunity to the devil. And again, he's looking for the smallest opening in your life. He's looking for that place that he can incite falsehood and deceit. Back to verse 26, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let, the Bible says, the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. We're, the Bible's calling upon us, don't lie, don't steal. Be truthful, go to work. Go to work, be, make an honest living in order that you would not be stingy. All those things. And yet, every religion around the world would champion all those. But only the Bible comes along and says, it's not about you just being honest. It's not just about you being truthful and handling your anger well. Again, let me reinsert this. There is a satanic, supernatural, evil presence who's actively searching in your life. And the Bible says, give no foothold to the devil. For the third time in the matter of about a year, I will tell you that there's two conflicts, two wars that you will go through in your life. The first war, you're fighting against God. Again, Jesus said, John chapter 8, every single person either has the DNA of a supernatural being called Satan in the center of them, or they have the DNA of the divine nature. And at default setting, when you come from the factory, you come with the DNA of a murderous, lying thief, which is your characteristic. You, look at this, you got dressed up and I'm here to insult you. Watch carefully now. There's two conflicts that you'll go through. And the first conflict is in life, you will fight against God. The Bible says at your default setting, how you came from the factory, before there's a reset press, the first fight is you're fighting against God and this fight you have to lose. You have to lay down arms. You have to put down the gloves because you are fighting against God. And the Bible says inside your heart, it's either the DNA of the devil. What's that DNA look like? That DNA will say, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. How many Americans does that sound like to you? Let's not point. <laughs> or the DNA of the divine nature. What's that DNA sound like? Not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. 
Now, which of those two hearts are yours? The first fight that every single person will go through is a first fight is a fight against God. And if you're going to be successful in that fight, you've got to lay down arms. And you've got to lose that fight and submit to Jesus Christ. But the moment you say yes to Jesus Christ, a second fight begins. It's a personal fight. A second fight begins. The moment you become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, a second fight begins. And this second fight is where God fights on your behalf against the forces of evil. Now, quietly, those of you who are watching at home and those of you engaged here in worship, which of those two fights are you involved with? Under the conviction of the Holy Spirit today, in the presence of an almighty God, the Bible calls the church a pillar of truth. We're to be truthful. Which of those two fights are you engaged in today? Are you fighting against God or is God fighting on your behalf? You're in either one of two conflicts. It's not as easy for me to get up and tell a bunch of school-aged children, to get up and tell a whole bunch of corporate culture people, hey, we've got to be honest. The Bible says there's a supernatural being called Satan. And that supernatural being, Jesus said, at his origins, he loves to lie. The truth is not in him. So the moment you say yes to Jesus Christ, at that moment, a great joy comes into you. Bible reading is sweeter, prayer is sweeter, but the moment that that happens, the Bible says a secondary force is mortally wounded. What, how dangerous, how dangerous is an animal that's mortally wounded? It's a highly dangerous animal. See, in all these practical pieces in the book of Ephesians, being truth-telling, going to work, being honest, not just to pay for myself, but notice in verse 27 and 28, so that I can be generous with others. Did you see that? That's an elbow to the ribs from the preacher. Okay. Not have prolonged anger, to be able to forgive all those pieces. Watch carefully. The Bible says it's not just as simple as you deciding getting up one morning, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be more kind. I'm going to be more generous. The Bible says that inside you is this sinful nature, what the Bible calls the old self in front of us. In the book of Ephesians, the old self. Sinful nature, Paul will call it elsewhere, or the old self. That's an inside opponent to operating in all of us. And the moment you say yes to Christ, your old self is mortally wounded. It will die one day, but it will operate until you die. Again, the Bible calls this the old nature. And it pulls in a direction powerfully. For those of you who've driven any cars, have you ever driven a car where the tires are not balanced? Where when you pull your hands off the wheel, it turns to the left, it turns to the right, and you almost have to turn in the opposite direction a few degrees just to keep it straight, right? Immediately you know you've got to take this car into the shop. The Bible says not only on the outside is a supernatural force working working to prevent you to be a truth teller inside you is the old self that works like a set of tires that's not balanced and it always veers it always veers toward the sinful nature no wonder it's so hard to be good isn't it supernatural forces on the outside and then there's this old self in here of pride you either at the moment of your conversion 
you have that DNA of inside you, the DNA of Jesus, the divine nature, that wants to say, not my will, but your will be done. Or you've got a divine nature, well, you've got a, an evil nature that says, don't talk that way to me. No wonder it's so hard to be good. In Ephesians, in our study, it talks so much about Satan. It's the one go-to place of all the books of the Bible that speaks about spiritual warfare. And here in the embedded in the fourth chapter, we find this language to give no foothold, to give no workplace, to give no room for the devil. One of the folks in our church, I was at your home recently, and you were showing me birdhouses. And I believe, if I remember correctly, these are purple martins. And you told me, I asked, well, how did the purple martins get here? Do you go buy one? And you said, you just put the, you put the house up and the purple martins will come. That's exactly the way it works with Satan. You think it's so simple. We think it's so simple. Just tell your kids, tell the students, tell the church, tell the committee, tell the corporate culture. We've got to be honest with one another. Can't we just agree to be honest with one another? And yet there's this supernatural being called Satan, and he's looking for a place. By the way, I'll ask again. If you were Satan looking at your life, where's the best place to get a foothold? Is it your pride? Well, pride's a good one. Is it your marriage? Where's his best, most convenient, go-to place? And the Bible says here to allow no foothold. I remind you of, a, of an illustration I shared with you just about a year ago. All the uh, football culture is about to get up and running. We now know that Texas and Oklahoma are in the SEC. Who thought of such things, right? And we are a football crazy state. Other pastors, knowing my predilection for Kentucky basketball, said, does your church t take that kind of stuff? I said, they don't care. They just love football. They just sort of pat me on the head and go on, right? <laughs> We're in a Texas football crazy state. And coaches will spend hours a week watching game film on their opponents. Even a high school football coach within our church told me they average 10 to 20 hours a week, the position coaches, studying game film. Now, if a football coach is going to watch his opponent for 10 to 20 hours a week, do you not think Satan and his demons watch some game film on you? And they know your go-to issues, your pride, your greed. And if they can incite your greed, the old man on the inside, and take someone from the outside and begin working on that way, something powerful happens, and they defeat your truth-telling. They defeat any position you might have at forgiving others. And no wonder the divorce culture, no wonder we're at a place where marriages are on the, on the rocks. Because Satan and his minions, and again, I believe in all of them. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. And Jesus, I believe his intellect is smarter than mine. He tells me that they're true. And the secondary reason is because I'm almost 50 and I've got my eyes open somewhat. And I look around and I say, there's no way this happens without a supernatural, a supernatural being called Satan. 
So each of you have those. You. I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm not talking about your kids. I'm not talking about the next generation. I'm not talking about millennials or Xers. I'm talking about you. Am I, am I clear on that? And there's these satanic strongholds, and he will come after you. And he will find a point of leverage. And the Bible, again, says a Christian is a changed person. So for the second week in a row, I tell you, what is a Christian? A Christian is it's HGTV. It's the before and after. It's that beautiful kitchen. It's that beautiful bathroom that every woman weeps after. They see that 30-minute show. We all know where this is going. What is a believer? It's that radical diet program. My before picture, these, these pair of pants where three people could fit in. My after picture is a pair of pants that's slimmer than the ones I have on now. What is a Christian is a person who's changed. Now, some of you hear that and you say, gosh, I need a better testimony. I, I, I should have killed some people. I should have done some drugs back in the day. I should have had a, a biker gang. But the change isn't the before. The change is the after. Madagascar, a pastor said, right before they baptized people, they asked them, what first drew you to Jesus Christ? He said, almost invariably, all the people in Madagascar, prior to their, their baptism, they say, what drew me to Jesus Christ was the changed behavior of this guy. He used to be a drunk. He's no longer a drunk. He said, this, this lady over here, she used to be a thief, but she no longer steals. The life of a believer is changed. Satan is real. And he's presently at work. And he will watch your game film carefully. I wonder, do you really believe in a satanic being called Satan? Most Americans filter Satan out. You may or may not be aware that many of the pictures that you see on social media have a filter. They don't look as good. They don't look as good in real life as they do on Instagram, Twitter. And like the filter that changes the picture, we have a filter in America, a filter of science, a filter of education, where we filter out satanic beings. This service began, and one of our people said to me in a ministry that our church supports, about 1,100 people came to faith in Christ in a South Asian country this month. 1,100 people when ministry began. In many of those homes those pastors went into, there were demon-possessed people, and the demons spoke to the believers. The majority of our church, if you put them in that setting, maybe include myself, it'd peel the paint on most of us. We'd have no concept for that. Why? Because we filter it out. Does that mean Satan is only alive and working in the other nations? He looks at America and he says, I'm going to leave them alone. He changes his tactic. He's aware of your pride. He's aware of my pride. He's aware of your desire to seem to be a cut above, a little more cultured, a little more moneyed. And he says, okay, I, I see you raise your hand and I match you. It's not just as if you can be honest. You have to be scanning your life and asking other believers to come in your life carefully so that no foothold is allowed. And Paul, as soon as he talks about a foothold, the first place he goes to is falsehood. Verse 26, verse 25, in fact. The Bible says, therefore, having put away falsehood, 
Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. When Paul begins to speak about the changed behavior of a believer, he doesn't say, it's too bad you weren't a part of a gang so that you could get up in front of a Bible study and talk about how great your change is. The change is that you're more sinful on the back end. The change is you're more truthful on the front end. Then when they work with you for decades, they recognize here's someone who doesn't embellish the truth. If he says five people were there, if she says that seven people were there, you can count on. The Bible says the first place, the first place it goes to, says put away falsehood. Put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with your neighbor. Do you remember the president? Have you went back and found the president who was in office when you were born? Don't, don't say that loud, I don't wanna embarrass you. Yeah, for me it was a notorious president, Richard Milhouse Nixon. Richard Milhouse Nixon, the 37th president of the United States was a polarizing figure to the day we are to today. He is effectively, because of his falsehood, brought down almost every institution. We see it all institutions now with more disdain and cynicism. Why? Because the office of the president on the 17th of June in 1972, five men attempted to break in the Democratic National Headquarters. You know the name, the Watergate Hotel. These men were arrested. Police were notified by an alert security guard that they were in possession of cameras and electronic surveillance. But that really didn't bring down the president until it was discovered that Mr. Nixon, our president, had recorded every conversation in the Oval Office. And effectively, he resigned. We all know his famous sayings, I am not a crook. Yeah. When the president has to say that, well, I'll let you fill that in. You know, just as Every conversation at the time was recorded in the Oval Office. Jesus says these words in Matthew chapter 12, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Mm. Every careless word they speak and every careless word they tweet and every careless word they post and every careless word you say even to family. The Bible, go back in verse 25, says, having put away falsehood. Alexander Pope says, the honest man is the greatest work of God because it's a miracle to, to find an honest man. That's what Paul is saying here. If honesty is present, it's the work of the Spirit of God, it's a miracle. In fact, verse 22, to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. This is this metaphor that Paul's gonna use. Take off the old self, put on the new self. It's the metaphor of conversion. It's this knowing Jesus Christ. And knowing Christ is to rid yourself of the old self. Deceit, it's being out of touch with reality. Reminded of the new husband who stupidly said to his wife, why did God make you so beautiful and yet so dumb? And she said, she said, he made me so beautiful so that you'd be attracted to me. He also made me so, so dumb so that I'd be attracted to you. <laughs> the Bible says we're to put away deceit. 
And lying, look at the text, lying gives leverage to Satan. Falsehood gives leverage, gives a foothold. It's the place where you put the birdhouse and the purple martins. It's a workbench for Satan in your garage or in your basement. Deceit gives the devil falsehood. In fact, if you were to ask Jesus, as if a reporter from CNN or Fox or ABC came by at the microphone and put it in his face, said, you claim to see Satan? Tell us about Satan, Jesus said. Speaking to religious leaders, by the way, not gang members, religious leaders, you're the father, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and the father of lies. No stuttering in Jesus' language, is there? So as you go back to the origins of who Satan is, Satan is a liar and he is a murderer. He cannot take the truth. The Bible describes Satan as a prosecutor, describes Satan as one who is an accuser. He is described as the father of darkness. He keeps us ignorant of the truth. Not only is there a place that Satan wants you not to tell the truth, but then secondarily, the moment of your conversion is when you see the truth, the truth about you, the truth about reality, the truth about God. And he does everything possible to keep you away from the truth and in secret. We live in a a therapeutic culture where everything we're told today is because we're sick. We use terms of medical terms for moral reality. We do so because it lets us off the hook. Have you ever noticed that? It lets me off the hook. If I say that I'm sick rather than I'm culpable, why is he so ugly to people when he's sick? No, could be I'm just mean. Could be just I'm just plain mean. Why does this person have trouble telling the truth? Therapy says, well, because they're sick or they have this diagnosis. The spiritual and moral reality says, I am responsible. Verse 25, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for members of one another. So let's just try this on for just a moment. Someone approaches you and says, uh, I need to talk with you for just a second. You know, one thing that really bothers me about you, you have so many good qualities, but you complain. You complain so much. Have you ever noticed that really you have, you have almost nothing good to say about anybody. Would you be capable of receiving that truth about you? If somebody came to you today, somebody that you love and trusted, meant the best for you, somebody comes to you and says, you know, you're such a well-meaning person, you're such a, a good person, you've got so many qualities, but the issue with you is you're so disorganized that you almost never follow through, and that's why nobody wants to trust you with the project. Do you have the capability of receiving that kind of truth? If somebody came up to you and said either one of those things, how would you receive that? The Bible calls upon us not to say just nice things to one another, but to say truthful things to one another. 
And again, God designed the believer to have a contrasting before and after, like the HGTV episode of a, of a home or a radical diet. The Bible says one more, just one step beyond this, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that is good, as, as such as is good and fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So we're to be speaking the truth in love. Reminds me of the older couple from Fort Worth were traveling out to Odessa. She could see well, but couldn't hear. He could hear well, but couldn't see. But they made it together. Stopped by a gas station on their way to Odessa and Abilene. Old days. Gas station attendant said, can I fill it up for you? He said, sure. Began to have a conversation. Woman said, what did he say? He said, fill it up. I said, sure. Then the gas station attendant said, that sure is a nice car. Where'd you get it? Chrysler. What did he say? He said, it was a nice car, Chrysler. I told him it was a Chrysler. Where are you guys going? Going to Odessa. What did he say? The wife said. He said, we're going to Odessa. Where are you guys from? The gas station attendant said. He said, we're from Fort Worth. What did he say? I told him we're from Fort Worth. This went on for a while. That's when the gas station attendant said, you know, I knew a woman in Fort Worth at one time, beyond a shadow of doubt, she was the meanest, hardest, bitterest, coldest woman I'd ever known. Wife said to the husband, what'd he say? He said, she know, he knows your sister. <laughs> now that may be truthful, but it's bitter, isn't it? And while that little story is humorous because it's so close to the, maybe our lives, the Bible here says again, this is a foothold for Satan. Don't allow Satan a foothold in your life by being a deceitful person. Don't allow Satan to have a foothold in your life by being a bitter person. Really, there's only two kinds of people. There's the kind of people who say, you know what, this whole thing about falsehood and bitterness, and I don't need a Jesus, I don't need the Spirit of God, I don't need a bloody cross, I can handle this just fine on my own. If I want to be a better person, all I need to be is a better person. But there's a second group of people. A second group of people oftentimes are Christians who say, you know what, I want to embrace Jesus Christ. I want to know the Lord. And then oftentimes it acts like fire insurance against hell. And then they lay down their hands after conversion and never work, never work to be better people, never work to be more truthful people, more forgiving people, more kind. A genuine Christian is someone who receives the Holy Spirit and then goes to work. Because the Spirit of God is a sin extinguisher. Prior to conversion, if you're going to fight the fire of your deceitfulness, what good is it unless you have something that can put it out? But the moment you have something inside you, the Spirit of God, to put the fires of sinful des desires out, it's time to go to work. Can I ask you in all truthfulness? Have you just laid down hands and become lazy? and let your religion and grace sort of just be the triumph of all that? Or have you gone to work?
and put in the work and brought people around you to address the deceit and the falsehood and the lying and the bitterness that's in us. The gospel of Jesus Christ can fix us. Every other ism, every scientism, every psychologism could tell you what's wrong with you. Only the cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus can only tell you what's wrong with you, but can say, this is how to fix you, and this has the power to fix you. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.